This is section 62 of Mark Twain, A Biography, Volume 2. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mark Twain, A Biography, by Albert Bigelow Payne. Chapter 166, A Player and a Master of Arts. One morning, early in January, Clemens received the following note. Daly's Theatre, New York, January 2, 1888. Mr. Augustin Daly will be very much pleased to have Mr. S. L. Clemens meet Mr. Booth, Mr. Barrett, and Mr. Palmer, and a few friends at lunch on Friday next, January 6th, at one o'clock in Delmonico's, to discuss the formation of a new club, which it is thought will claim your sick interest. R.S.V.P. There were already in New York a variety of literary and artistic societies, such as the Kinsmen and Tile Clubs, with which Clemens was more or less associated. It was proposed now to form a more comprehensive and pretentious organization, one that would include the various associated arts. The conception of this new club, which was to be called The Players, had grown out of a desire on the part of Edwin Booth to confer some enduring benefit upon the members of his profession. It had been discussed during a summer cruise on Mr. E. C. Benedict's steam yacht by a little party which, besides the owner, consisted of Booth himself, Aldridge, Lawrence Barrett, William Bispham, and Lawrence Hutton. Booth's original idea had been to endow some sort of an actor's home, but after due consideration this did not appear to be the best plan. Someone proposed a club, and Aldridge, with never-failing inspiration, suggested its name the players which immediately impressed booth and the others it was then decided that members of all the kindred arts should be admitted and this was the plan discussed and perfected at the daily luncheon the guests became charter members and the players became an incorporated fact early in january eighteen eighty eight besides mr booth himself the charter members were lawrence barrett william bispham Samuel L. Clemens, Augustin Daly, Joseph F. Daly, John Drew, Henry Edwards, Lawrence Hutton, Joseph Jefferson, John A. Lane, James Lewis, Brander Matthews, Stephen H. Allen, A. M. Palmer, and William T. Sherman. Booth purchased the fine old brownstone residence at 16 Gramercy Park, and had expensive alterations made under the directions of Stanford White to adapt it for club purposes. He bore the entire cost, furnished it from garret to cellar, gave it his books and pictures, his rare collections of every sort. Lawrence Hutton, writing of it afterward, said, And on the first Founders' Night, the 31st of December, 1888, he transferred it all to the Association, a munificent gift absolutely without parallel in its way. The pleasure it gave to Booth during the few remaining years of his life was very great. He made it his home. Next to his own immediate family it was his chief interest, care, and consolation. He nursed and petted it as it nursed and petted and honored him. He died in it, and it is certainly his greatest monument. There is no other club quite like the players. The personality of Edwin Booth pervades it, and there is a spirit in its atmosphere not found in other large clubs, a spirit of unity and 
ancient friendship and mellowness which usually come only of small membership and long establishment mark twain was always fond of the players and more than once made it his home it is a true home and its members are a genuine brotherhood it was in june eighteen eighty eight that yale college conferred upon samuel clemens the degree of master of arts it was his first honor of this kind and he was proud of it to charles hopkins charlie clark who had been appointed to apprise him of the honor he wrote i felt mighty proud of that degree in fact i could squeeze the truth a little closer and say vain of it and why shouldn't i be i am the only literary animal of my particular subspecies who has ever been given a degree by any college in any age of the world as far as i know to which clark answered my dear friend you are the only literary animal of your particular subspecies in existence and you've no cause for humility in the fact yale has done herself at least as much credit as she has done you and don't you forget it c h c clemens could not attend the alumni dinner being at elmira and unable to get away but in an address he made at yale college later in the year he thus freely expressed himself i was sincerely proud and grateful to be made a master of arts by this great and venerable university and i would have come last june to testify this feeling as i do now testify it but that the sudden and unexpected notice of the honor done me found me at a distance from home and unable to discharge that duty and enjoy that privilege along at first say for the first month or so i did not quite know how to proceed because of my not knowing just what authorities and privileges belonged to the title which had been granted me but after that i consulted some students of trinity in hartford and they made everything clear to me it was through them that i found out that my title made me head of the governing body of the university and lodged in me very broad and severely responsible powers i was told that it would be necessary to report to you at this time and of course i comply though i would have preferred to put it off till i could make a better showing for indeed i have been so pertinaciously hindered and obstructed at every turn by the faculty that it would be difficult to prove that the university is really in any better shape now than it was when i first took charge by advice i turned my earliest attention to the greek department i told the greek professor i had concluded to drop 
the use of greek written character because it is so hard to spell with and so impossible to read after you get it spelt let us draw the curtain there i saw by what followed that nothing but early neglect saved him from being a very profane man i ordered the professor of mathematics to simplify the whole system because the way it was i couldn't understand it and i didn't want things going on in the college in what was practically a clandestine fashion i told him to drop the conundrum system it was not suited to the dignity of a college which should deal in facts not guesses and suppositions we didn't want any more cases of if a and b stand at opposite poles of the earth's surface and c at the equator of jupiter at what variations of angle will the left limb of the moon appear to these different parties i said you just let that thing alone it's plenty time to get in a sweat about it when it happens as like as not it ain't going to do any harm anyway his reception of these instructions bordered on insubordination insomuch that i felt obliged to take his number and report him i found the astronomer of the university gadding around after comets and other such odds and ends tramps and derelicts of the skies i told him pretty plainly that we couldn't have that i told him it was no economy to go on piling up and piling up raw material in the way of new stars and comets and asteroids that we couldn't ever have any use for till we had worked off the old stock at bottom i don't really mind comets so much but somehow i have always been down on asteroids there is nothing mature about them i wouldn't sit up nights the way that man does if i could get a basket full of them he said it was the best line of goods he had he said he could trade them to rochester for comets and trade the comets to harvard for nebulae and trade the nebulae to the smithsonian for flint hatchets i felt obliged to stop this thing on the spot i said we couldn't have the university turned into an astronomical junk shop and while i was at it i thought i might as well make the reform complete the astronomer is extraordinarily mutinous and so with your approval i will transfer him to the law department and put one of the law students in his place a boy will be more biddable more tractable also cheaper it is true he cannot be entrusted with important work at first 
but he can comb the skies for nebulae till he gets his hand in i have other changes in mind but as they are in the nature of surprises i judge it politic to leave them unspecified at this time very likely it was in this new capacity as the head of the governing body that he wrote one morning to clark advising him as to the misuse of a word in the current though he thought it best to sign the communication with the names of certain learned friends to give it weight with the public as he afterward explained sir the word patricide in your issue of this morning telegrams was an error you meant it to describe the slayer of a father you should have used parricide instead patricide merely means the killing of an irishman any irishman male or female respectfully j hammond trumbull n j burton j h twitchell end of chapter one hundred and sixty six a player and a master of arts read by john greenman